Yeah, what was your mother's maiden name, Ryan? <laughs> um, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to 30 Day InfoSec, a podcast that covers the last month of InfoSec happenings. This is your host, TJ. And Ryan, let's start the show. Hey, TJ, how you doing? Pretty good. How you doing, Ryan? Uh, not bad, not bad. Another, another month in InfoSec has brought us yeah. here today we made it um we did make it we made it another month so i was looking at the news uh the other week so it looks like trump has disclosed his account number and the routing number showing that he has accounts sitting at uh one of citibank's or i guess one of his accounts is sitting with citibank i can only imagine that they're probably coming under huge cyber attacks at least least, you know being being the target of them recently you know what do you think Yeah, I think uh, knowing that, definitely there probably are going to be people that are going to look for that information in general just because of the history of of the whole Politico around his financials. Uh, That that probably would be a big, big marker for that bank that has that information. Oh, yeah. I mean, anybody that has, you know, ties or associations with the president just basically has a target on their back. So, you know, disclosing that stuff publicly, you know, basically in live television was a pretty smart move, I guess. Right. Yeah. And I think about like if there are actors in that environment currently and the fact that they, you know, maybe weren't looking directly for that information. But now they have, I guess, a marker to go for during that uh, intrusion oh, yeah, effort. I mean, yeah, if, I mean, any anybody stuck in there, or, you know, sitting in that environment already was just going to be—they're going to be thrilled. Yeah. So if I was Citibank, I'd definitely up the threat hunting efforts on the infosec side. That definitely would be something that they should be looking into, even if there aren't people inside the environment uh, currently. Just the external attack surface would be a big big point of risk for them oh yeah definitely i mean trump's been (laughs) trump's been floating around the cybersecurity news recently for a number of different things i guess the revil group was threatening to uh uh, you know dock some information on him yeah uh, so there is a twitter account that chronicles the ransomware leaks and it's actually called ransomware leaks. Uh, so they basically follow all of these ransomware actors where they're starting to leak data to give more pressure to pay those ransoms. And so in this, they had and gained access to a law firm, uh, Guberman, Shire, and Sachs, it sounds like. And this law firm uh, has a bunch of clients. One of them, most notably, is Lady Gaga that had Uh, some of her information leaked. Well, I think as they were going through the data, they saw some references to Trump, and then they started touting that on their leak website and saying that uh, using that sort of pressure, uh, the law firm to possibly pay the ransom a little bit quicker. Uh, That didn't really hit as well because when they released a little snippet of the information, it seemed to be like it was from data from like the 2016 time frame and it was just like possible litigation discussions between uh tv stations as well as a possible special about trump uh being created so it didn't really cause as much uh 
excitement as I think they would have wanted. So they ended up trying to uh, sell it individually to gain some money yeah. from that on the dark market. Did they end up selling it? It looks like there was a buyer and there's no information about it from there. So that's extremely suspect as to who bought it or anything. But they promised that if you bought it, you own the data. It will never get released by them. They won't do anything to release any of the information that was inside that that data payload. So uh, that's really interesting that someone bought that up really quickly. You know, honor among thieves and all, right? Oh, yeah. There's uh, two sides to the coin on that one. One, they have the interest to actually be people of their word, just so that people actually pay and they don't go, you know, we're gonna get we're gonna get hit by this anyway, and you're gonna do whatever you're gonna do, so might as well just do it and we don't pay you a large sum of money. But then also you have access to some really juicy information and you probably can squeeze a little bit more money out of it. So, you know, there's two sides to the <laughs> to the coin there. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see them. I, I could see them holding up their word. I mean, it, it's just going to moving forward as as they pull more data because it doesn't seem like they're going to be going anywhere. Although with with the uh, with this case and them threatening to release that data, I think they get they get labeled as a terrorist organization now, right? Yeah, uh, they're a large large criminal group. I mean, the actors behind these ransomware campaigns are super large. It's interesting that they they got that moniker and. Uh, they moved from organized crime to terrorist organization. And I'm curious to see how that actually affects how actively uh, legal and law enforcement organizations are going to go after them. Yeah. I mean, just tax in general. I'm wondering how more and more law enforcement organizations are going to go after them. Yeah, definitely. So, Ryan, on another note, uh, there was a release uh, called Uncover which is the most advanced iOS jailbreak. This is actually one of the first jailbreaks in a really long time that basically gives you uh, a lot of control over your iOS devices. What do you think about that? I don't know if it gives you more control, but I mean, they are touting it the way it's set up and the way it's actually exploiting the underlying software system. It's supposed to still remain secure. Once now. Once your device is kind of jailbroken, I don't know how secure your device still is. You know, depending on apps, because you have you know you have more access. I you know I, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. I, I I haven't actually dug down and actually looked at the exploit or looked at the iOS devices yet that have been popped with it, or I guess have the software run on them. But you know, I, any device that you jailbreak, you're, you're you're giving yourself a lot more access to it, and. In turn, any app that's on your device also has more access as well. So I'm not sure, really sure how they're going to you know, maintain that secure access. Yeah, definitely. And, and when I read this article and I started thinking about the whole situation, I think the big thing that came to me was two points. One, that the fact that a lot of the malicious applications and the, the threat landscape for Android is based around the jailbreak community. So, you know, opening that up to iOS is obviously going to incur some some risk there. The second one is this utilized a uh, zero-day flaw, and we're starting to hear more and more about these iOS uh, zero-days. You know, there was a couple cases where uh, Apple would not release uh, information to law enforcement in order to help with the investigation for... Uh, devices. So law enforcement would go and hire one of these zero day firms to go in and break into the phones and get the evidence that they need to persecute. 
the amount of effort that's going into you know some of these some of these communities for doing zero day attacks it's really just it's eye opening because you can only assume that there's large government entities and and nation states that are trying to do the same thing and how many how many zero days are we just not seeing and we we've never we we'd never heard about or haven't been patched for a long time yeah, I mean, there's there's bunches bunch out there, and I, I think you know mobile devices are actually on the on the rise, but most of the bug bounty or exploit um, companies out there that are purchasing exploits from security researchers, the, the bounties on mobile devices have just gone through the roof. They're you know, so I think you know they're they're becoming more and more targets, just because everybody has one. We all have laptops, but we also all have phones. Our phones are on us way more than our, our laptops are. So it allows you to really get tracking location on people. So once you pop these devices, you I mean there's you know huge data points that you can collect on, on individuals. So they're you know they're kind of big targets. Jailbroken and uh, off market mobile applications, they cause, you know, one level of risk, but even legitimate applications sometimes or seemingly legitimate applications on those app stores can cause risk to you as well. Yeah, I mean, I, so I was just reading an article, I mean, with all the COVID stuff that's going on, uh, we're getting all these contact tracing apps, a lot of different countries are releasing them and, you know, encouraging all their citizens to install them. And, you know, even Apple and Google, and I think we might have mentioned this last month that, that you know, they've built their own apps built right into the operating system that's supposed to help with contact contact tracing. Um, I mean, some of these apps I looked at, if you install the app and you're using it, it doesn't matter if anybody in your phone book has also installed the app. You're also exposing that data to the app manufacturer as well. So if, you know, I have your phone number, on my contact list, and I come near you, that all that all that data, where you've been, where you are, is also getting transmitted back to them without without you even installing or, or knowing about the app. So it's kind of it's kind of a little bit scary, but at the same time, I mean, I understand that they're trying to help with this outbreak and pandemic that we have going on, but it you know that just seems like a lot of data to be collecting on everybody. Yeah, and you you don't know how that data is going to be used after the fact, right? And so, I mean, even when I got a recent iOS update, you could see that there was uh, capabilities added to the phone to help with contact tracing, and it says it in the update. And, you know, that gives me a little bit of pause because from a privacy standpoint, after we have the the health crisis and we we move back to normalcy, how and where does this technology get utilized? Yeah, I mean, where's the off button? Is there an off button? <laughs> and, you know, it, once it's baked into the OS, are they just going to rip it back out in, you know, a year when hopefully things are better and we're back into the new normal of, of what the world is? I, I seriously doubt it. But, you know, what what is going to happen there? Honestly, yeah, by that I, time, most normal users are going to forget it was there. So it gives them even more of a of an excuse to just kind of run with it. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if there was, you know, they use contact tracing to do targeted advertising. So, you know, you have someone who is a verified buyer of some sort of product and who are the people that they contact, who are the friends of the friends and trying to identify possible matches for product advertisement based off of that. I mean, that type of data, once available, gives insight to a lot of customers. And I would not 
put it beyond some of these large organizations to leverage that to make profit. Yeah, definitely. So, Ryan, speaking of taking advantage of citizens, I was reading a Krebs article the other day that talked about unemployment fraud and the rash of new unemployment fraud that's coming out here. So apparently, uh, when we're talking about some of these uh, pandemic unemployment assistance claims and programs, uh, there are groups out there that are basically having a run of the muck for committing fraud based off of this. Now, the problem stems from the claims that people make to get the unemployment assistance. Like these legitimate websites by states and government for the unemployment system assistance sometimes are not as secure as they should be. Wait a minute. No way. <laughs> yeah. So they can divulge information about potential victims that can be used by the fraudsters to steal the money of those victims. Now, the interesting thing about the Krebs article was that it showed a little bit of insight on some of the Telegram channels that these fraudsters were using and talking about these techniques. And they were boasting about how easy it's being, uh, how, how many people are jumping on to this wave, this new wave of fraud. And some of them even went as bold as uh, posting screenshots. One that I saw from the Massachusetts Department of Unemployment that showed many different deposits going to one account that were about $1,000 each. Now, the interesting thing about that is one, the beneficiary name is probably not matching the account owner's name. And then two, those all those refunds were going from one place, the Department of Unemployment, over to one account, which is sort of weird and should have raised flags. Oh, you, I mean, yeah, I mean, you would think, you know, seeing multiple accounts for these stimulus checks, you know, I could see one or two checks going to the same account, you know, husband and wife or whatever. But, you know, seeing multiple checks going to the same account should, I mean, that should be a simple alert to build. Uh, it goes back to the basics, just like uh, network security. Got to stay with the sim- simple stuff. Um, but yeah, it, it really with all, man, this pandemic has caused so many headaches. This, with ever, all the states having to ramp up, you know, unemployment benefits, stimulus checks, all these different things that, it, that it have, you know, were seemingly low, low hanging things that never, you know, only happened here and there. We had a very low unemployment rate. And then for that thing to, you know, double, triple, quadruple so fast, it was almost impossible for people to keep up. So, uh, you know, obviously fraud's going to start creeping into there. It just, <laughs> just makes sense. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's nuts. Yeah, and you think about what information people need to really commit a lot of this fraud, and it's the name, date date of birth, address, and social security number. Well, guess what? There's been like hundreds of breaches in the past couple months, and a lot of that information gets exposed through some of these breaches. I mean, IRS breaches, uh, credit bureau breaches financial breaches, all of those are going to involve that type of data. And it's starting to become almost trivial to get that information on the dark web to perpetrate these type of crimes. I'm sure that there are uh, packets of U.S. citizen pieces of information that include all this data that someone can buy for, you know, X amount of dollars on the deep or dark web. And then they can oh, just yeah. go around, turn around, make the claim, and then they just made a couple hundred bucks, right, from the delta between how much it costs them to get the data set 
and how much they're getting back from a clean, which, you know, rounds out about a, like a thousand or so, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could buy this information on the dark web very, very, very easily for, you know, pennies for, for one single identity. And you usually buy it in bulk for about a hundred to a thousand, you know, at a time. And it's, yeah, it's simple. You can do it in a matter of minutes. Um, but I do like how you, you went back to breaches as, as a way for all this data to be collected by bad guys when, honestly, all this data is being publicly posted on Facebook and Twitter every single day. <laughs> that is very true. I see, I see it all the time. All these all these memes or these quizzes or whatever they might be that, that are popping up and asking you for your, you know, what was your birthday release song you know i mean that's that's just one way for for bad guys to easily identify they have a first name and last name now and now they know your birthday let's make a new quiz that somehow narrows down the state you were born the address without you even realizing you're putting all those pieces together for them yeah what was your mother's maiden name brian <laughs> um wait what <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's 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 nuts um and yeah. I, I mean just going going back to the all the, the pandemic and stuff that's going on, just not only are bad guys going after people for stimulus checks and everything, they're taking advantage of, you know, all the work from home people. And I think, you know, again, this is something that we've touched on last month and it's probably gonna be something we touch on again next month because it's just a, a huge deal for everyone right now is there's a giant, massive, uh, just COVID-19 related phishing emails packaged with rats that are going around right now that Microsoft has been tracking. Um, and we've actually seen a spike. Usually uh, attackers have migrated now to using old school Excel 4.0 because it packages the Excel file differently. And it, it kind of breaks a lot of the security researcher tools that are out there that are you know investigating a lot of this stuff. So they've seen a huge spike in that that's been going around recently, specifically targeting COVID-19. I mean, have you noticed a lot of this? Yeah, I mean, we have a ton of task forces that, you know, focus on COVID-19 based attacks. And still, with all that information, I mean, they're they're tracking domain names that are registered that may be used to fish for COVID-19, emails that are being sent on behalf of malicious actors or involving COVID-19 and it looks like this this flow of attack is just still pumping out. Like there is a large group of security researchers that are working to help solve this issue. And it's, it feels like there is just a really, really big divide and, you know, the amount of people that are trying to take and leverage this from an attacker standpoint versus, you know, the output that's coming out from the research community. So that's really scary just to think about how prevalent this attack scheme is. It's actually so prevalent that some of the like most notable actors refuse to use the COVID guise as a method of attack. And and that's really interesting. But just because the attack landscape and just to give us an idea, like when everyone is focused on using this technique, this uh the guise of COVID-19 in order to operate maliciously, you it sort of gives you a good understanding of like the volume and the amount of attackers that are out there because of just the stuff that you're seeing going through, like the amount of domain names that are getting registered under the the guise of COVID-19 and, and being used for phishing, the amount of emails that are getting sent, it's really overwhelming and, and really eye-opening. So I, I like what you said there with, you know, the, the 
high profile actors that won't take advantage of the COVID-19 stuff. What are your thoughts on, you know, internal pen testing and red teams or, or even external teams, but, you know, in general, security team, offensive security teams utilizing COVID-19 for spear phishing to try to train employees? Like what, what do you think that's a no-no or, you know, is it, is it something that, that should be done? No, I, I'm, I'm of the belief that if you are a good guy that's trying to emulate a bad guy, you have to be the baddest of the bad. And you have to be an eye-opener for the organization as well as really test in the most realistic standpoint the community that you're trying to help, right? And so I think those are still on the table. I just, I, I think that it's one of those things where we need to be more cognizant of the email that's coming in our email inboxes, the information that we're getting uh, introduced to on a daily basis with the internet. We're just getting a ton of information and it's coming from, you know, many different sides and many different sources and really being able to filter that from like a human being standpoint is really important. So red teamers helping to bridge that gap and identify you know, possible high pro high high risk members of an organization, I think is really important actually. Yeah, I mean I, I'm totally with you. I, I'm a you know train train like you fight style. I, I think you should totally be taking advantage of it and utilizing it. But I've noticed a huge uptick in on social media, you know, specifically Twitter of people just complaining over and over again of you shouldn't be using COVID-19. It's a pandemic. It's, you know, people are dying and granted, I understand that. And I feel really bad for those people, but you know, if you're going to be take, taken advantage of, wouldn't you rather be taken advantage of by a guy that's only emulating a bad guy and not a real bad guy where, you know, a serious harm could happen. Yeah, being charged with a couple hours of uh, anti-phishing training versus losing thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of dollars for your organization, I think those things uh, outweigh each other. Oh, yeah, 100%. So, TJ, did you did you hear about EasyJet? They, uh, they're, they're claiming that a highly sophisticated cyber attack was able to compromise their system and release... Uh, I don't remember the exact amount. I'm, I'm sure it was, oh, 9 million customer records that were accessed. Uh, yeah, that's... I mean, <laughs> highly sophisticated. I like that. I mean, <laughs> what do you think's happened there? Well, one, I'm not surprised, right? I think we're all used to having these hard breaches. I expected a couple more, actually, <laughs> to, to come out over the, the month period, but... It's just a sad thing that uh, this is the world we live in. Uh, it's not really much about the breach as so much as the amount of people that are infected. So, like, that's really telling, right? Because these numbers keep getting higher and higher that it's like, oh, you know, hundreds of thousands, one million, nine million. Nine million is basically a large state, like a state worth of people, right? And that's a, that's a really eye-opening number there yeah i mean it's it's, it's huge I, I like how every every dead breach that comes out it's always a sophisticated highly sophisticated cyber attack nine times out of ten it ends up being somebody left the admin password as password because <laughs> i'm yep. pretty sure the uh wasn't the uh 
Oh gosh, the credit bureau weren't they uh, also highly sophisticated attack? Equifax, there we go. Yeah, uh, it's really interesting that you don't hear a lot of the technical details about the actual incidents, which leads me to believe either one there was some sort of negligence that they have to like really deal with from a regulatory standpoint or two that they just didn't have the visibility in their environment to really understand what was going on now they did say that there are uh, allegations that the actors could have been based out of china and uh that these the nation state actors in china or uh, apt group from china has been known to be attacking the travel industry as of recent, uh, and these are initial reportings, so I don't know how truthful they are or, or how real they are, but uh, I, I'm assuming that as more information is released, that will sort of be run to a head there. Uh, but that's pretty much the only information that they really release out of there, other than, you know, the intrusion. Yeah, I, th I think a lot of those details kind of get you know, swept under the rug a little bit because, you know, nobody wants to look They're They're looking bad enough already saying that 9 million records were accessed and compromised. They don't want to say, you know, really how bad or how easily those were accessed. So they kind of sweep a lot of that under, under the rug, I think. Funny that you were mentioning, uh, you know, this being targeted towards China because I was looking at the Verizon data breach uh, investigation report recently and they they had a huge uptick in the cyber attacks i guess this is all based on 2019 data so there's a huge uptick in almost 60 percent of attacks that are that are happening in 2019 were all organized crime related so i thought that was kind of interesting that you know i feel like that number has gotten gotten bigger over the years oh yeah definitely and i i made that note too when i read through the report and you know, money is the top motivator for breaches, and that's what they said there. So it really does pair well together that that is the case. And it just seems like this is going to be the the future going forward, is that there's going to be highly sophisticated attacker groups, crime-focused groups that are just going to be operating uh, and, and really just operating for financial gain. We see this with the TrickBot group. We see this with a lot of the ransomware actors. There's a lot of different, uh, Emotet has another group and they're working together. They're partnering, they're building tool chains and, and processes to make their operations a lot more fine-tuned and, and frankly, they're becoming just like every other business or they're, they're modernizing and they're, they're starting up oh, operations. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, these organized crime groups, they, they literally run themselves just like a business. I mean, they are financially motivated. They're, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. You know, they're, they're only going after, you know, targeted customer or tar targeted victims, I guess, not customers, targeted victims that are going to provide, you know, a return on investment. Yeah. And one of the other interesting things from that DBIR report that I saw was that around 27% of all malware incidents involved ransomware, which is really interesting. And just ransomware is not going anywhere anytime soon. It's a really prevalent malware type. Yeah, no, I mean, we see it every single day um, in my day job. So yeah, it's, it's, it's not going anywhere. One of the things I, I thought another interesting fact in, in the report there was, you know, the two most common vectors that people were getting in was phishing, which has always been towards the top and it 
will always stay towards the top. But the next thing with all these data breaches was stolen credentials. And uh, I think that's only going to going to continue to rise because as these companies are getting popped, a lot of that data is just getting dumped on the dark web and then it gets bought a couple times and then it kind of filters off its way into the clear web where the rest of us are, are looking at it and, and, you know, using that. Brute forcing credentials and, and using stolen credentials has been really big. It was surprisingly big of a percentage uh, in regards to attack types in that report for me. Uh, but it does make sense. I mean, information stealing is a key portion of a lot of organized crime. Uh, that's how they take out profit outside of the ransomware aspect. So it makes sense that they would just take those credentials and try to extract as much financial gain as possible out of it by selling it to other people that could use it for intrusions and whatnot. So that was really interesting. It really does put a marker on a lot of businesses of why wouldn't you have multi-factor authentication? Because it seems like that is going to be one of the <laughs> one of the first things that you'd want to look for based off of the information that you're seeing from the tons of incidents that the DBIR covers. Yeah. I mean, it's usually one of the biggest recommendations that we make is, you know, <laughs> two factor authentication. I think that that's like default on every IR report. <laughs> if they don't have it, then they just need to get that. Even if it's not even involved in the whole incidents, like it'll save you in the future. Trust me. <laughs> yep. I think another one that was uh, really interesting from a non-malware attack standpoint was how prevalent web application attacks were. Uh, a lot of the attacks that involved breaches uh, that weren't related to malware were web application attacks or web application vulnerabilities that were exploited. And it is interesting, and I really want to get your viewpoint from being a, a red teamer there, Ryan, like... How many people actually web application pen test their web applications? And how are these attackers really getting past a lot of this? Uh, these like how are they getting past a lot of these applications that are out there that are that are just portals for legitimate companies that can be used and key they're basically gateways to uh, personal information and, and credentials. I mean, so I, I think the the reason the web application, you know, percentage point is jumping so high is because so some people are getting better at some things. So we're slowly locking down more and more firewalls so that we're not just sticking RDP on the web. Not to say that it doesn't happen. Yes, it still happens, but I think it's getting better, right? As we progress, you know, <laughs> we're now in 2020 and you still find it, but it is getting better. So the, the attack surface does shrink down to just web applications, which should be exposed. Um, and so I think that's why the, the percentage jumps as much as it does. But, you know, people still aren't doing you know, basic web app pen testing, you know, and, and I think that stems from some people just don't have the budget for it because it isn't the cheapest thing on the planet and you can't just point a scanner at it and run and assume that you're protected because <laughs> that, you know, that that's only going to catch basic onesie twosie things. It's not going to catch these things that are actually causing these data breaches to happen or all these customer records to get leaked. Those things really take a, a manual proficient tester to come look at your application and, and, and kind of run it through its, its, its paces. Yeah. And that's interesting because I mean, there's a lot of companies out there that are doing like, you know, war gaming and heavily, heavily tailored 
adversary red teaming, adversarial red teaming, and 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 really just working through uh, all these use cases of like sophisticated nation state actors. But you know, from the DBIR report, we're seeing organized crime, financial gain, basic attack surfaces. It really sounds like we're just not doing what we need to do to really cover the basics here, and that's providing this big landscape for opportunity for all these attackers. Well, I, I think that's kind of partially the fault of marketing. Um, I mean, the, these guys are, are coming out here and they're saying, hey, we, we're going to stop the, the next EPT zero day because, you know, we're that awesome and we're, we're going to do that. And then, you know, everybody jumps on board. They're like, well, I don't want to be hit by APT. I'm going to, I'm going to stop them. Well, well, maybe this is an EDR, you know, endpoint solution that's sitting on your, your, your workstations. And it has nothing to do with your web server that's sitting out there public facing and getting slammed by every script kitty on the planet. But isn't it behind my next generation firewall, which is connected to my UBI and my extreme <laughs> analytics dashboard? Yeah, I should know. Thread Intel buzzword, 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 and, and so that that again, like what you were saying is, you know, they're running these super war grain tabletop red team exercises. Well, the red team's a new buzzword over the last year or two, and so everybody's they come to the table and they're like, "I want a red team exercise." Are you sure? It's usually my first response because nine times out of ten, the customer that's asking for that really doesn't know what they're going to get when they buy that. They just they heard it. They're like, we're going to get it because we have money right now and it's burning a hole in my pocket when, you know, I could walk in and plug something in and use common off the shelf, super, super, super easy malware that should be caught by everything. And we could own the entire network in a matter of 20 minutes. Those guys are not the ones that need the red team exercise. Those are the guys that we're talking about that need the basics of <laughs> let's start at square one. And how many assets do you have on your network? <laughs> do you even know that, that information? So you really got to... All the marketing that's out there when you're when you're coming in as a consultant doing offensive security, you basically have to throw that in the trash and start from square one and say, okay, let me tell you what you really need on your network and what kind of services that you really need to buy because you may have fifty grand and I may take your fifty grand, but if you listen to me for five seconds, I may only take five grand of it because that's all you need right now. And then we'll step up and we'll do some more later, and then we'll do some more later as you start maturing and getting better and better. So you're saying machine learning won't solve all my problems? No, no. I mean, machine learning is only just a bunch of if statements, right? Just about. All right. I think those are all the articles that we have going over for this week. So I think it's time to go over to the events for June. I think there's a lot of uh, new events that are coming out. Wait, wait, wait. TJ, TJ, TJ. Defcon's canceled, man. Oh, gosh. For real this time? (laughs) <laughs> yes actually this year it is canceled i'm sorry um you know obviously we've talked about it probably almost the entire episode here with the pandemic going on you know having a eighty thousand people congregate in a hotel was probably not the best idea um and so, you've been to defcon and you've smelled those hallways <laughs> you know that the hygiene that, that is not as high as you think it would be in a regular <laughs> setting Yep, that too, that too. Yeah, so so Dark Tangent actually, he he actually made the decision back in April, or uh, it was March, March or April, but he just released it here in May and, and finally made you know made the decision public and said, hey, obviously this is not the best decision. We are still going to have a virtual conference, so the DefCon will be virtual. Um, and it will be free actually this year, so that'll be really nice. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, sadly, if you want to go to Vegas and not take a shower and not put on deodorant and just drink your face off, you're going to have to wait till 2021. Hopefully. Knock on wood. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's what we expect. There's a lot of events that are going virtual over the this this time period here and probably for the end of the till throughout the end of the year here. Uh, so we would expect like a lot of these, especially uh, DEF CON and, and as well, Black Hat is also going virtual this year. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> sadly, I, th- I think, you know, our, our local B-sides are probably going to end up having to virtual. And, you know, I, all the other ones I've, I've seen have all started migrating to virtual. And it, it sounds like it, it probably is going to be that way probably until the middle of next year when, you know, hopefully we have a vaccine and everything else. <laughs> Yeah, so talking about some of the events that are coming up here, I have uh, the first event that is on June 6th and 7th. This is a virtual event. It's uh, the Women Hackers Con, and this is online, and that should be a pretty good event there. Yeah, so I think shortly after that, um, oh, actually, no, I'm sorry, right before that, June 4th and 5th, we uh, SANS is having the Pentest Hackfest. Um, it's going to be talks and a cyber range, so you'll actually be able to play. Um, I think they're doing Net Wars live, and they're also having a couple other different cyber range events. Um, all should be free. Um, you can go check out the SANS website for that one. And we'll also have some links in the show notes. That should be quality. Uh, and then after that, on the 13th, we have B-Sides Greenville, which is in our local state, and that will be a virtual conference, so you guys can all attend. Um, so right after that, on the 16th through the 18th, we have SecureCon, um, also online, should have uh, talks and training. And then on the 25th, you have Enterprise Lockdown, which is a business-focused conference that focuses on uh, information security and emerging cyber threats. And then wrapping out the end of the month, we have Pass the Salt on the 29th into the 1st of uh, July. And that's going to all be surrounded about open source uh, software and security in general. So that should be a really good time. Awesome. So that sounds like that wraps up another episode of 30 Day InfoSec. So thank you very much for joining me, Ryan. Have a good one. You too. Thanks, TJ. Thanks for joining us on 30 Day InfoSec. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. You can also connect with us at 30dayinfosec.com. 